You're at the lowest point in your life. Marriage of 20 years, all gone now. For the first time, you're all alone and you feel every moment. The weight of depression presses in on every side. That's when you catch his eye and you hear him say, I won't stop until I have your soul. We talk with author Joni Mayhand and exorcist, Brother Joachim. She tells us about her book and experience with The Soul Collector. He tells us how to protect our soul. Tonight on Midnight Radio. presented in this documentary represents the views and opinions of those who presented them. It does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Midnight Radio, its sponsors, or affiliates. introduce you to our guest her name is Joni Mahan she is the author of 24 books tonight we're going to talk specifically about the book the soul collector I'd have to say that the beginning of this story and it's a story that can be very haunting very scary and it's basically like this Stay with us, and we'll tell you where it goes. We have a paranormal investigator goes on an investigation. She comes back with something she hadn't intended. I want to start where all this began, Joni. What, what made you interested in the paranormal? You know, I don't think I ever had a choice. I think the paranormal found me. Uh, I remember having my very first experience when I was six years old. My mother tucked me into bed, and as soon as she turned off the light, I started seeing shadows moving around my room, and my ears started ringing, and I started feeling like I wasn't alone. And, of course, it terrified me. I was six years old, so I screamed for my mother, and she came in and assured me there was no such thing as ghosts, and left a nightlight on for me this time and then left. And my experiences just never stopped. In fact, they grew stronger, especially during my teenage years when I started going through puberty and all that spiky hormonal energy, I think I drew more and more near me. So I've just always had that 
going on. But, you know, it wasn't until I was in my 40s before I was put my fear aside and decided to learn more about it. I don't typically interview paranormal investigators. So for you, it's a little bit different for me. You, you were mentioning the ringing in your ears when you were six years old. And there's a word in your book you call Clara Audient. Am I saying that correctly? Yes. And uh, I looked the definition of that up, and that means, and I've ran into this in different stories, but it also always had to deal with possession. And that is when someone actually hears the paranormal or a demon or a ghost spirit entity, whatever you want to call it. Normally they hear it talking or they hear it talking from their own mind, but yours is different. Yours is just a buzzing, like kind of like a radar. Could you explain that to us? Yeah, it's, it varies in pitch. It's similar to ear ringing, but sometimes it's more of a static sound, almost a white noise sound, uh, high and low. And it's my way of knowing there's a ghost nearby. And if now, late years later, I've honed it. So it's my gateway into my mediumship. If I tune into that sound, I can start pulling images in my, in my head and information and uh, names, and I start getting more of their story. It's almost like the ear ringing is the doorbell, and once I open the door, then I'm able to get more information from them. Are you better able to control the door now than you were back when you met the Soul Collector? No, I'm not. I'm, I'm really, I have resources now to help me, but I have not, I've learned how to listen around the sound, but I have not learned how to turn it off. And I've worked with lots of psychic mediums and different people trying to help me get control over that. Now I am still very much a ghost magnet. There's something different now than in your story that all right, brother, I think I want to say something about this. So um, obviously we're coming from the Christian perspective. And um, in the past, I was, like I said, dealing with a lot of demonic activity against my will. And uh, part of it was that I experienced something what the world calls, um, you know, sleep paralysis. And um, that was in a time when I was like into meditations a lot and occult martial arts and stuff like that. And it often started, um, you know, I was going to bed and then I was out of sudden wide awake. I was absolutely awake and I could not move myself, no chance. And it started with a with a buzzing noise in my ears. That's that's when I you know, when I was sleeping and, and this started, I realized, okay, not again. It happens again. And when the first time this, this, when this was happening, I was back then, I was not even really sure about a soul. Do I have a soul? There, there were times when I was thinking like, when this thing here, the main computer is done, maybe I'm just dead. I'm not sure. That was before I became born again. But when the first time these things were manifesting in my room and it started with sleep paralysis and this buzzing noise in my ears, I knew that I have a soul. And that this thing was after my soul, without a shadow of a doubt. I just knew it. Um, 
another thing is like that she is talking about, you know, this is her gateway and all of this and that she has no self-control here. She has no control over it. So uh, from the Christian perspective, um, God's spirit is giving us self-control. And whenever we are having not self-control, we have a problem. And um, the way these these beings are tricking people into getting more and more into the occult is like, you know, that they are seeking spiritual advisors, mediums, and stuff like that. They open more and more doors. And what she's experiencing, you know, this buzzing noise, in her case, okay, she's not talking about sleep paralysis, but there are different occult practices you can do, and it always comes often, you know, people are experiencing these buzzing noises. So she says now, this is coming from the outside, she's hearing this, and whenever she's hearing this, she means, she thinks that there's a ghost around her, something like that. But, you know, she opened herself up to the occult, and there's a good chance this is also coming from the inside. Demons can do a lot of wacky stuff when it comes to this. And at the end, they're playing people like like puppets when it comes to this and we will hear in this documentary that she's seeking for you know spiritual advisors and in my opinion it's getting more and more downhill and she believes that's that's the satanic trick here she believes she gets more insight and get more control and then more understanding but she's getting more and more entangled into the occult and that's very dangerous the soul collector and that is the tragedy that happened in your life right at that time when you started paranormal investigating you you had a major change in your life after 20 years you were divorced i was and um i was off on my own for the first time really ever in my life and bought a house and was trying to do my thing and um i was pretty much holding up i wasn't doing anything i wasn't getting out and talking to people. And one of my friends suggested joining a meetup group. And uh, because he knew I was into the paranormal, because we talked about different shows that I'd watched and whatnot. And um, so that's how I got involved in my first paranormal group. So that's kind of how I got to that point where I went from being an observer to being a participant. Now you describe it very well in the book. Um... I could just see you sprawled out on the couch, eating ice cream, watching paranormal shows, watching the clock tick by until you, until you decided yeah. to actually go yeah. on one, right? I did. I thought, you know, I'm, I'm still young and, you know, I'm not just sitting here waiting to die, which is kind of what it felt like. Um, I really didn't know anybody. I didn't have any friends. I'd already always worked uh, as retail management or corporate management and, really couldn't befriend the people that I worked with. So I really didn't have a lot of friends, and we moved a lot. So it seems like every time I'd start to make friends, we'd move. And, you know, when I got a divorce, I moved to a different town again. And, I, you know, I was, I was lonely. I didn't really have anybody, and I thought, well, maybe this would be a good way to meet friends. And that was some of my primary reason for getting out there and uh, joining that meetup group. But it wasn't necessarily what I wanted. It was not the first meetup group was not a good experience. Yeah, you you described that really well in the book. And that was a what was the name of that? It was a tunnel. I've got your pictures right here. 
Um, Clinton yeah, Tunnel? Yeah, it was the, uh, Hoosick, the Hoosick Tunnel in North Adams, Massachusetts. It's, um, it's a very neat tunnel. It's about three miles, two and a half miles, and it's an active train tunnel. And there are uh, no trespassing signs everywhere. And that was where this group wanted to meet up. And I brought my daughter with me. She was, I think, 16 or 17 at the time. I just wanted some moral support, and she was interested in that as well at the time. And we get there, and the group was really, um, they had no intention of going into the tunnel. Uh, they, were, they were afraid of the tunnel. One of them said there's pure evil in there. And, I, and they charged me like $15 a person <laughs> to not go in the tunnel. And um, so my daughter... And I was standing there. We're like, well, we didn't drive an hour and a half to not go in the tunnel or not do anything. And another uh, two men walked up, and it was an older man, and I thought maybe his son, and they were going to walk in. And I said, oh, can we walk in with you? And which was really a stupid thing to do. Um, I mean, it ended up okay, but we got about a quarter mile into the tunnel, and the little circle of light behind us was getting smaller and smaller. And I went, you know, I don't know these men. What did I just do? And I said, you know, you're not serial killers, are you? <laughs> Laughing. And one of them said, well, it's a little too late to ask that question, don't you think? <laughs> I'm like, okay, we're turning around. I had the flashlight, so <laughs> everybody, we turned around and walked back out. And really that was, and the paranormal team was all over me. What did you find? What did you find? And and that was really my first experience with a, with a ghost hunt, so to speak. So really the only thing you found the first time was your own fear. Right. And, and really stopping to think that you don't need to be jumping into situations because you're intrigued. You need to stop and reevaluate what's going on in every, every aspect of it, uh, which kind of carries on with my soul collector story because I didn't evaluate that situation either. Before we start talking about the soul collector, you, your, your ears were ringing. Um, you said it started when you were about six years old. The time you went to the tunnel, were your ears ringing there? When did you notice that your ears ringing had to do with paranormal activity? You know, it was before then that I started considering it because... I started thinking about, you know, when my ears would ring, I would also get that sensation that somebody was behind me. So I'd turn around and there'd never be anybody there. And I started wondering if that was what was going on. But until I really joined a group and started working with other mediums who also had abilities, and I, that validation was essential for me to understand what I was experiencing. I suspected I was hearing ghosts, but until I started me working with another medium, I didn't know for sure. That's right. I remember now because they, they felt something too. And you happen to have the ringing in your ears at the time. Here's, here's a side question here about the ringing in your ears. Now they have these little things you can put in your ears for tinnitus. Have you ever seen those? Or like, um, I guess it's, it's kind of like an earplug, this hollow in the middle. Have you ever seen those? I No, I haven't, but I'll be looking into that. I'll send the link for you. I was just curious. You know, I, I, believe, I believe in your paranormal ability, but I was wondering, and I do not think it's tinnitus, but I was wondering if you wore one of that, if it could turn it off. That would be wonderful. That would yeah, be interesting, I always tell it? people that the difference between tinnitus and uh, clairaudience is to turn your head. 
if the sound is constant and it moves with you, then it's tinnitus. But if the sound gets softer or louder, you're probably hearing a ghost. Can you, I can pinpoint where they are in the room. Does it still, if you cover your ear, do you still hear it? Yes. Oh, yes, God. it's inside. It's oh, just, Lord. Yep. I don't think the tinnitus plugs would work. Yeah. And that was actually in the definition of Clara Audient. You know, it doesn't matter. All right, we're about to talk about the Soul Collector. And right before you called, it's hot here in Texas right now. Um, and I, before you called, I was checking on your, your, your pictures to see if you uploaded them yet. And I saw them and uh, I was going through them. And I saw the, the prison camp pictures and they were eerie. I mean, these are just regular pictures. There's no ghosts in them or anything. It's just, just a foundation of an old prison, but something of it did. And this is before I even knew what it was. I didn't even see the, the caption of it. It just made me feel creepy. So. Yeah, it's, it's definitely, it's an interesting area. I mean, it's in the middle of the state park and I have been aware of it for a decade probably because we used to ride snowmobiles when I was married and we would go through that park on snowmobiles and you see people walking their dogs around there and everything. So it's, you know, I think there've been a couple of times we'd walked into one of the buildings just to see what it was, but we, it came on our radar uh, I think we just happened, we were looking for somewhere to investigate and we thought, well, you know, it's an old prison camp. I bet there's probably ghosts there. So that's how we ended up there just out of kind of boredom. And we would go up, we spent an entire summer going there with mapping. We had a map of where all the old ruins were. There was a dairy farm, a dairy barn. There was a horse barn and it was a sawmill and, you know, of course, the prison itself, and, you know, we mapped out everything and learned where it was, found the ruins, and, you know, and a lot of it was definitely doing EVP sessions and using our equipment, trying to see if we could get them to talk to us, so we had a lot of fun there that summer. Joni's EVP recordings are phenomenal. I'm going to, with Joni, with your permission, I'm going to share those throughout this documentary here. Absolutely, absolutely, and I think, um, there's something about my energy that draws ghosts in. They feel comfortable with me. They know I mean them no harm. Um, and, and I get, I could be in a room full of investigators. All of us have recorders and I'll be the only one that'll get an EVP. I feel like they just talk to me for some reason. And it started at the Rutland prison camps. Are you able to ask questions like yes or no questions and get answers through your, your hearing um, as far as in static form, like one static for no and two no. for yes. No, you can't do that. Have you tried? No, I can't, but I've gotten to a point where I know the answer a lot of times, you know, I don't have to use any equipment. I can go in and really feel it. Uh, Claire cognizance is when you just know information you shouldn't know. And I've tested it. I've gone into houses with known ghosts and um, not having any knowledge of it myself and come out with the accurate information. I even drew pictures sometimes, and they look just like the person that lived there. So uh, I feel very confident in my abilities at this point, but back then I wasn't. I was 
I didn't really know. It was like a new toy. I was excited. You know, I'd hear my ears ring and I'd go, oh, there's a ghost here. Let's put a, you know, let's put a camera on this corner or let's put a piece of equipment here. And um, it was like a new toy. You know, I was running around all excited, wanting to go to investigation so I could experiment with it. I don't know what's more dangerous back then before your, before your abilities were as developed as they are now or nowadays when they're a little more developed so you can get more information. I don't know which is more dangerous. Um, I think it was more dangerous back then because I didn't know good from bad at that point. I just knew there was a ghost there. Now I can, if I start to feel something, I can tell you in an instant whether I want to be dealing with this or not. Um, and, and I'll back away because my experience, some of my, I've had more than one besides the soul collector. I've had some negative encounters and I don't really want to go through those again. I'm not Zach Bagans running through a dark, you know, asylum screaming at the demons. Um, I know how bad it can get. I know what they can do to you and I'm apprehensive and rightly so. And everybody should be. One of the things that is interesting to me about the soul collector story is it started there in the prison camp. I've done a lot of research into prisons and the evilness that is there, not even relating to the paranormal. It is a super hard to describe how negative a place it is. And not just those that are uh, residents there, but those that work, work at those places. Which makes me interested in the concept of talking, talking to a ghost or wanting to talk to a demon. And you, you did some EVPs there at the prison. Um, one of the scariest things for a prison guard at a prison would be for all the lights to go out and be there with the inmates. And in a way, because you don't know what's going to happen, you know, the, the, the evil inmates, the evil people there, they'll do something to you and the good people won't, but that won't stop the evil people in the darkness where you can't right. see. Right. So you're there yeah. talking to not only there in the prison, but with your gift. Normally, mostly good spirits are busy doing things, good things. They, they're not really ones to communicate much. But, but the dark entities... You know, they have one goal, and that is to still kill and destroy. And there is no bigger con man than the evil spirits. So to be there doing EVPs at that prison, uh, that must have been something else. Yeah, it definitely was a bit of an adrenaline rush. Um, we would sit in that root cellar. And it would be completely dark except for the light from some of our equipment, our K2 meters and digital recorders. And we would ask questions and you would start to see shadows moving and everybody would nudge each other and we'd all watch it together. And there was no doubt we were seeing something, but what were we seeing? We didn't know. Um, we were kind of excited at the time and, you know, it was an adrenaline rush and hoping that we would get, have an experience. Uh, we just didn't want to have a negative experience. We, we were out to prove that there was life after death. That was a lot of what we wanted to do and find out why they stuck around. There were just so many questions we had and it wasn't 
necessarily to go out and provoke something and you know, have something negative happen. It was really just an information gathering experience. What can we find out? What's death going to look like for us? So that was a lot of the intrigue. So that's your goal with the investigations to find out if there's life on the other side and what is it? Yeah, at the time. I mean, now I'm, I'm past that and now I really want to learn more about the people that are there and why they stuck around and learn more about their, their lives. But at the time, at the beginning, it was all about, is this real? Am I really experiencing this? I was kind of both mortified and fascinated at the same time. It takes it to another place when you're just there investigating and then you actually have one move in with you, doesn't it? It makes things vastly different. It was something I did not anticipate happening and it was horrible. Did you fill him at the prison while you were there? Yes. Um, You know, each ghost has a different tone, and I can kind of identify them by the way they sound. And he was very, his tone was loud, and it wasn't high-pitched. It was kind of like white noise. And it kind of came with a little bit of negativity. Like, it didn't make me feel comfortable when I heard it. I didn't know what I was hearing, but I also didn't necessarily want to be around. And... Everywhere we would go to investigate, I was hearing that tone. And when we left, uh, we always had a process where we would burn sage, and um, one person would take turns um, having everybody stand in front of them, and they'd turn around, and they'd blow or move the sage, the smoke around them, and we'd say, nothing's allowed to follow us. And um, somebody did that to me as well, and I got into my car, and I was still hearing the tone, and I was by myself, and I even pulled like a mile down the road and pulled over and got my sage stick out and saged my car and tried to sage myself and was adamantly telling whatever was with me, you are not allowed to follow me. You need to go back to where you came from. You are not allowed to come with me, and nothing, nothing changed. Uh, got back in the car. It was still there. Drove home. It was still there, and walked up to my house and it was still there. And when I went into the door, it followed me through. And I can remember walking through the door and with the knowledge that it was with me, but I also felt like I was, the hair was rising on the back of my neck. I felt like somebody had broken into my house. I just had the feeling I wasn't alone. And what I didn't realize what it was, what I was feeling was what was with me, not what had been there before. And I searched the entire house went through the closets and under the beds and there was nothing, nothing there that I could see. Um, but I remember that feeling that I got when I walked in, it felt like something was different and, and it was, it just wasn't what I thought it was going to be. It felt different. You know, there's a lot to be said about feelings that we don't understand. For example, did you ever wake up one day and you know, for some reason, it just feels like a Tuesday today, you know, and it's not, it's Thursday or Friday, but it's Thursday or Friday, but you're like, it feels like Tuesday for some reason. Well, there's a lot to be said about feelings. Sometimes you feel like something's missing or something's different. It is, but you can't explain it. And you know, and if we really break this down, why is it so scary? 
and it is, and it gets worse, and we're going to talk about that. But why is an entity that you can't see so scary just because you don't know what's there? Something that you're, you you've not given there. permission? Yeah. yeah. I mean, you don't know what it's capable of. A human being can be a thousand times more scary. They can kick your door down, come in, eat all your food, cut the wires on your car. You know, a human can do whatever they want for a time. Right. But you have you have an entity and they must be weak. They must be very weak. As strong as they are, they must be weak. But they're it's terrifying. So when did things start to ratchet up with the soul collector? Actually, here's, here's something I want to point out to you and those listening about your writing in this book. Uh, one of the things that really took me to was you, you start to notice this entity with you. And at the point in the story we're at now, it's not yet named. And you had a friend that you contacted. She was, I don't have her name, but she's a, you call her psychic medium. Want- yeah, I didn't list her name. Good. Um, I just called her the psychic medium. Yeah. But, um, yeah, she was part of the, I was part of, I had moved on, eventually grew, uh, joined a paranormal group. And they had several different chapters. Um, I was in Massachusetts, so I was part of the Massachusetts chapter, and she lived in Maine, and she was part of the Maine chapter. And sometimes we would get together, and we would investigate together, or we would have meetings, and, um we had a joint investigation at Rose Island Lighthouse. And she took one look at me when I walked up and she said, we need to talk. And she pulled me aside and she said, you have at least five ghosts with you. And she started naming off who they were and what they were. And she said, you may, ha- you may be a ghost magnet. You may be pulling in ghosts. And At that point, I don't think I had the soul collector with me, um, but she had identified that I was pulling them in, and she got rid of all the ones that were on me at that point. But it wasn't until Thanksgiving that year uh, I had the soul collector with me. I knew something was with me. I hadn't named it at that point. I, I didn't like the way it felt, and it would get really close to me and very intimidating. When you're medium, it's hard to explain. People are like, well, did it move things in the house? Did you see dark shadows? And yes, sometimes. But the biggest thing was that oppressive feeling that it was right next to me. And I would turn around fully expecting to find somebody behind me. And as a woman living alone, there's always a little bit of terror involved in living alone, especially for the first time in your life. You're always worried. Is somebody breaking in? Is there somebody here? Is somebody going to hurt me? And having somebody in your house already following you everywhere, following you into the bathroom. My ears were ringing when I was showering. He was standing there watching me shower. He would follow me into my bed, and I could hear him. My cats would lay on the bed, and they would watch um, something that I couldn't see move around across the room, and they would watch it move right over the top of my bed, and they would stare like three feet above me, all, both of them, watching something. And that was where the ear ringing sound was coming from. So I knew there was something there, and it was just so difficult. There was no getting away from him. And so I was anxious by Thanksgiving. It was getting worse, and I was starting to have <clears throat> terrible nightmares about people getting murdered, and uh, I I just was all consumed by this. It felt like I was being taken over in some ways. And Thanksgiving, I really had nowhere to go because 
my whole family was in Indiana. And being recently divorced, I had no family there. So they invited me to come up to Maine for Thanksgiving. And I was excited to have somewhere to go. And I walked up and knocked on the door, and the psychic medium opened the door, and she just looked at me and she said, we need to talk. (laughs) And I had to wait for the entire Thanksgiving dinner and everything until like maybe, you know, an hour after we'd eaten. I finally went up to her. I'm like, all right, what do we need to talk about? And she said, you have something really bad with you. She said, when I look at him, I see a group with people with him, dead people with him. And I said, hundreds? She said at least that, maybe thousands. She said, they go back so far, I can't even see the end of them. And she said, they look sick. She said, they look like they've been at a hospital. And she said, have you investigated anything lately? Well, the Rutland prison camps also had the ruins of an old tuberculosis hospital there. And while the prison itself was for moderate offenses, it was a working prison farm, so it wasn't really that bad. But the TB hospital pulled in patients from all over the state from any prison. So they had rapists and murderers and everybody mixed into one at that TB hospital. And that's where we had been investigating. And she said, I think that's where he came from. She said, I think he's a soul collector. He collects souls and he wants your soul to add to his collection. And that was terrifying. Those wouldn't be easy things to hear for sure. And if you can just imagine somebody, some person, some entity, some being that you can't see just standing there violating your personal space. They say that a spirit isn't able to to haunt you or infest or be around you unless you give it some kind of permission. Do you think you gave this entity some kind of permission? No, I don't. And and I've also heard other psychic mediums say that um, the only reason you tracked dark energy is because you have dark energy. And I don't think that's true. I think I have the opposite. Uh, I've been told by other psychic mediums that there's something about my energy that's um, like a rocket fuel to the ghost. So they, it's very desirable. When they pull my energy, it gives them more power, I guess. I don't know. I wish I could tap into that. That would be awesome. Um, But they're drawn to me. And I'm still learning why they they feel the need to find me. But I always have a ghost in my house, always. And if one is removed, another one pops in literally that same day. So it's just something I've learned to live with. But I haven't, uh, having something like the Soul Collector was a totally different thing. Because this one, he wanted... He wanted me dead so that he could have my soul. And that's really hard to hear. Oh, yeah. I, th- I think that maybe you do tap into that energy with your writing. That's one thing I noticed, and the reason why I brought up the psychic medium, which kind of clinched the things that you thought when she gave you that information over Turkey, was how you felt. I could feel your emotions when you're writing on the page about how you felt like you were bothering this lady and how these things you went home and these things would continue to happen, get a little bit worse. And 
she just wasn't as available as you, you know, at that time and how you felt really bad for bothering her, you know? Yeah, I did. I, I knew she had other things going on in her life besides me, but at the time she was really the, my only line of defense. And in some ways she was a little bit passive aggressive with me and I'm not sure why. I mean, now, you know, 11 years later, if I picked up on something really negative in somebody's house, I wouldn't tell them, oh, he looks like the character in the Scream painting, and he hovers over your bed uh, three feet and stares at you at night, and he follows you everywhere you go. And I would never terrify somebody like that. I would tell them I'm working on it, and then I would work on it. But And then maybe afterwards, after it was gone, then I would identify what I'd felt. But I feel like she incited a lot of fear in me that, probably fed him in order and made him stronger and it just kept going on and on and on and no matter how scared I was I, my relief was so minimal um, that it almost didn't matter and in the meantime he was getting stronger he's feeding off my fear and he was capable of doing more and more over the period uh, if you actually had dark energy or dark spirit you wouldn't have cared how much you were bothering her that's the thing about people that take advantage and, well, like the soul collector. They don't care if they bother somebody. Right. Yeah, it didn't It didn't care about inconveniencing me. Um, but, you know, I'm kind of, a, I've always been a little bit of a people pleaser, and it's always hard for me to put myself first and say, hey, I need help over, you know, this is really important, maybe more important than whatever you're working on. You know, you need to help me because I'm at my wit's end. I, I'm not that person. And maybe now I would be a little bit more, um, but back then I really wasn't. I was I was very vulnerable at that point. Um, and, you know, I didn't even talk about this, but going in, the reason I met the Soul Collector was because, um, I had just gotten dumped um, by somebody I thought I was going to spend the rest of my life with. I was in, you know, just madly in love with this man, and he dumped me over somebody he we saw at a wedding we went to. It was somebody he had gone to high school with, and all of a sudden he was breaking up with me and, uh, you know, dating her. And I was devastated because, you know, I had spent, you know, a good five years alone uh, after the divorce and I really thought I was never going to find anybody and he was like a white knight that came riding in and you know having that devastation I was I was in bad shape I was laying on my couch crying for weeks and one of my friends called me one evening and said hey I know you're I know you're depressed but let's go do something fun let's go ghost hunting and so that's when uh, I went out to the Rutland prison camps and met the soul collector so I feel like all the other times that I was out there, my energy was high, my vibration was high, he couldn't latch on to me, but when you're depressed and down or sick or anything, your vibration is much lower and it's easier for them to attach to you. So I feel like I was going out there uh, in a very vulnerable state and he took his chance and jumped on me at that point. So. Uh, and now, to this day, when I talk to people, that was my biggest message in Soul Collector is never investigate unless you're at the top of your game. And if you're a sensitive, make sure you know 
what happens if something follows me home? What is my backup plan? And I didn't have one. I didn't even think I needed one at that point. Um, so I tried to use my story, my bad experience as a lesson for other people, and hopefully it's helped a few. It's like you were, I wasn't going to mention it, but yeah, you got dumped right before you went to the lighthouse, wasn't it? Didn't you actually have two yeah. tickets booked yeah, for that? Yeah. yeah. You were like an injured gazelle we when this predator, yeah, this injured, you were really an injured was. gazelle that jumped on you because yeah. it was a predator. I was devastated, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 it hurt me bad. I mean, literally, it's been 11 years. I'll have not been in another relationship since that point. So it was something that wounded me pretty deeply. Um, and, again, I learned my lesson. I learned a lot during that period of time on, on a lot of levels. And also bring it up, but um, this person was making fun of your, because he said you he, he thought you had superpowers when you sent an email yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. And now he's famous yeah, yeah, for being I, in your book. I know, well. Without, yeah, without saying his you know, name. Never, yeah. mess with, never mess with the author, right? You know, <laughs> yeah. They may put you in one of their books. So you win in the end. Let me ask you about Michael. Yeah, I, I don't know if this is his real name. Michael and Nancy Cram. Yeah, it, it is their real names. Yes. Where did they? Do you still have contact with them? Um, I really do not. I've tried to find Michael um, like a year ago and and couldn't find him. But um, they would they they like to ghost hunt as well. And I believe we met them out at the Redland prison camps. Um, they ran around with a man named Stephen Flaherty. And Stephen would just park himself in the uh, root cellar in a lawn chair with his equipment and just sit there and do EVPs all by himself in the dark. Um, and sometimes Michael and Nancy would join them. And we started working together and investigating together. They had some cool locations they brought me to. And I was at the time working with my friend Sandy McLeod, and she was also a sensitive coming into her ability. So she was the one that I really worked with the most, uh, bouncing things. Like we would go into a haunted location with pen and paper. We wouldn't say what we felt. We'd write it down. And then when we were finished, then we would compare notes. And that, and we were very accurate. We were very close on a lot of things. Like the only difference was sometimes she saw them a little bit older than I did, but she's also a little bit older than I am. So I don't know if that was the perception or what. But uh, so Sandy and I would investigate with Michael and Nancy and Stephen, and we'd go different places. And um, when I started having these problems, I reached out to them because Michael was studying uh to, to help with exorcisms for the Catholic Church. He would be the one that would go out and do the research to find out if an exorcism was truly needed. So he seemed like a good person to reach out to. One of the most interesting aspects of this story is the way the soul collector was cast away. Is that the term for it? Cleansed, cleaned out. Yeah. It took a long. How long did all this yeah, take? Removed. Yeah, removed from the beginning of the soul collector at your house till it being gone. What kind of time had passed? Was it about like a year and a half or? No, no, no. It was only like three months. Um, 
Okay. If it were a year and a half, I would have been, I would have been dead. It <laughs> seemed like you had much longer. No doubt about it. Yeah. Three months was, uh, it started, uh, in September and it ended in December. So towards getting close to Christmas. Do you feel now that looking back on it, do you have a better idea of what the soul collector was spirit or demon or, um, yeah, I've had people s- speculate that it was demonic. Um, I don't think it was demonic now. I think it was just a very intelligent, high-level ghost that had learned a thing or two. You know, perhaps he did um, some, maybe he had abilities, like a psychic medium abilities as a living person. He was definitely a very negative person. Uh, several people have picked up on the fact they think he might have been a guard out at the prison and maybe he was doing um somebody suggested satanic rites out there and we did actually several times come upon uh the remains of satanic rituals several times so um the land i think just got permeated with negativity out there and it was a feeding ground for him he was able to stay there and hang out and enjoy it. And what made him decide to latch on to me, I'm not sure. I just probably, you know, look like, you know, like you said, a wounded gazelle, you know, to a very hungry lion. And that's why he leapt on me. But I don't think he was demonic. I think he was human. So Michael was one of the first people that tried to get rid of the entity from your house? He did, yeah. I wasn't getting really any results from the psychic medium, um, and I wasn't getting assistance. She kept saying, let me work on it, let me work on it. And sometimes she would pull it off for a little bit, but it was right back. And so I contacted Michael, and I said, you know, look, here's what's going on. Can you help me? And he came into the house, and um, Michael's a great guy. I'll just say that. He was always willing to help, he and Stephen and uh, would come out, and I think Nancy might have come with them once, but mostly it was Stephen and Michael. And they would walk around, and Michael would say, "Up, oh, yeah, here it is, here it is." And um, and they would burn sage, and he would. All right, uh, just a couple of quick words. So, um, yeah, she tried that sage thing, burning a stupid plant, and she believed that will work. I mean. Again, we, we are dealing with spiritual beings, mighty spiritual beings, and do you really believe that burning a stupid plant will, will, will get them away and you just say, like, you are not allowed to follow me? The thing is, like, all this sage-burning stuff, it's also, you know, it's, it's, it's stuff that pagans did. Yes, we know that in the Bible we also hear about high priests burning incense, only certain people were allowed to do this. But, uh, you know, um, to stop demonic activity with, with burning sage, that will not help. He would say prayers, and uh, the first time he came out, he said, um, okay, I got rid of it, it's gone. And they were getting in their cars and driving away, and I'm like, it's not gone, I'm still hearing it. And And... I forget what, you know, I called him and I said, look, it's still here. And he said, oh, I think you're just hearing the residual of it or something. I don't know what he said, but I knew for a fact it was still there because it was still that same energy that was threatening me every day. 
Um, so I would call and he would come back. And at one point he came out and brought his books uh, that he was using to, to train with the Catholic Church. And he did a deliverance on me, which is a layman's exorcism. And reciting prayers and throwing holy water on me. And, um, you know, at the conclusion of that, he, you know, he said, I think he felt he had gotten rid of it again, um, but it was not there. So it was like it was it was bigger than what he was, but he might have wounded it a little bit. He might have taken away some of the energy. Um, I mean, I feel like he just the fact that somebody believed me and was coming out and trying to help me meant the world to me because I was getting, you know, a lot of radio silence from the psychic medium. You know, she was just telling me things like she would pull it off of me. She said, okay, I can pull it, pull him here. And I'll give you a little break. And then she would say, he's telling me that no matter how much Charlotte and Mary pray for him there, it's not going to help. And she didn't, had no way of knowing my mother's name was Charlotte and my deceased grandmother's name was Mary. And she'd say, oh, he's interested in your daughter, too. Do you have a daughter? And, you know, of course I had a daughter. Uh, she didn't live with me. She lived with her father after the divorce. But, you know, my son was living with me. And it was, you know, it was just, it was making things even worse um, instead of making them better. So it was, it was just a couple months of just terror of going home, walking into my dark house, knowing he was there. And not being able to have anywhere else to go or anything to do, there was no escape. He was on me constantly. Jesus. All right. Um, that was not deliverance, not biblical deliverance. This woman is obviously not a born-again believer. And in case you would cast out a demon out of an unbeliever, a person that has not the Holy Spirit, this demon, according to the scriptures, comes back and is taking other demons with him and it's getting worse with this person than before. So that is when we talk about deliverance. Sprinkling some so-called holy water to a person will do nothing. So the only thing that would help in a situation is to completely give your being to, a, to, to the Lord Jesus Christ, is surrender to him, and you let him do the work. But um, all this stuff with, with, for example, what is happening in Catholicism, often they recite some weird long Latin prayers and whatnot. That is all nonsense. Um, the Bible is telling us clearly that every true born-again believer has authority over demons. And a lot of people don't realize this because they're listening to the lies of Catholic priests and uh, people that are saying, oh, only specially uh, ordained, uh, anointed people, they can do this. Or there are people like John MacArthur, cessationists, they are saying like, oh, the gifts have ceased. And that's another way how Satan is destroying people. It's called Hegelian dialectic. So there are these both extremes. People like John MacArthur are saying, no, with the last apostle, this died out. No one can cast out demons. And then, of course, he backs this up with, you know, pointing to satanic Benny Hinn shows when people get slain in the spirit, falling backwards, talking about electricity in their bodies. They're getting the exact opposite. They're getting demonized. So that he is, for example, saying, no, deliverance is not real. Then we have what is happening in a charismatic movement. But, you know, 
Catholicism, for example, what was happening there, these Catholic priests, they are, they are not practicing, they are not doing biblical deliverance. With, they, they are, you know, with these weird, often long Latin formulas and, and stuff like that, and all this unbiblical stuff with using a crucifix, which is a, a carved image, and it's not allowed, it's absolutely not allowed to have something like that. Um, or, or, you know, taking the Bible in your hand and you, like Bob Larson and making a big show that that's nonsense. Putting, sprinkling holy water on the, on, on a person that is not even a believer. That, that's insane. I mean, what, what is helping? The only way that helps. And, uh, how to deal with demons. We hear this here. And, uh, in Mark chapter 16. We clearly hear, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils. Not with weird Latin formulas or holy water or taking a crucifix into your hand. Or taking the Bible and, and, and flinging around like a maniac. No, that will not get the job done. And this person must accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And if you're doing this, if you stay away from your cult, you give your life to Jesus Christ, I can guarantee you that he will deal with this. But as long as you're with one foot into the occult, it's only getting worse. And, and obviously this person, I have to clearly say this here, this person that was doing this Catholic exorcism or deliverance he was not doing a thing he has no idea about what he's doing and maybe he experienced some situations that you know that a demon was just for you know playing dead for a time because that's what they often do <laughs> i mean they are not stupid if if they see a chance that they can fool someone yeah, they play dead for a little while and they come back then but I can guarantee you that, that that's another reason why I have to talk about this in detail. What this man was doing was not deliverance. It has nothing to do with biblical deliverance. And you, you cannot, according to the words of Jesus Christ, when it comes to deliverance, that means casting out a demon out of a person. You, you are absolutely not allowed to do this with an unbeliever. You're making things worse. So that's the thing, like, um, again, the spirit of a, of a saved person is saved, of a born-again believer, not his flesh. And there are a lot of Christians that are coming against this, and they're saying, oh, no, no, Christians cannot have demons. But if you really search the scriptures, yes, that, you know, Jesus Christ was not just widely casting out of demons out of unbelievers. He, he was saying the exact opposite. It's absolutely clear in the scriptures that deliverance is the children's bread. But what this man was doing, um, that that is not biblical. It will not help. I'm sorry to say that. And if someone had an experience that oh, it was getting better for a while, then demons were just playing dead. Holy water will not do a thing. A Bible, you know, having this in your hand like Bob Larson or a crucifix and 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 moving like like a maniac with that will not do a thing. The only thing that will help is the authority of the name the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you are a true born-again believer that is doing this and knows that you have authority, that if you know you have authority over demons, 
then it will work. If you're doubting this, it's not good. Technically, every true born-again believer can do this. Technically. They are not specially anointed people. What I believe is that God is using certain people for certain tasks. The one is a good evangelist, the one is a good teacher, the one is good with dealing with demons. With my background, because demons manifested here in this room, it was the most terrifying thing that I ever encountered, and I encountered a lot of things. I was surviving two car crashes, being in a burning apartment. I saw a lot of violence in my life, a lot of hateful stuff. But when these things manifested here, <laughs> that, that was brutal. When I know, knew back then that they were after my soul, that was terrifying. But see, the, the thing is, like, I know, I'm absolutely sure that God let you know, let this happen that in order that I can see this and learn from this, it was the most terrifying time in my life with all of this stuff that happened, but I learned a lot from that. And now I know that all these these people that are thinking they can contact the dead or spiritual guides or aliens or whatever it is, it's just a demonic lie. And um, I know there's power in prayer. I know deliverance is real, but it's not what, what Benny Hinn is doing or what is happening in the charismatic movement and what John MacArthur and these people are saying that gifts have ceased. That is based on nothing. You cannot back this up with the Bible. But what is happening in Catholicism is not biblical. And they're they are doing a lot of weird stuff. And yeah, this woman cannot say that this man uh, you know, was doing a deliverance on her. That is just not true. So Michael told you the three stages of demonic um, activity or haunting, basically, when it haunts a person. Yeah. What are the three stages? Yeah, he did. Did you go through those stages? Um, oh, I did, definitely. He, the first one is, um, oh my gosh, I've already forgotten the first one. Um, See, the first one is... Infestation. Oh, infestation. Infestation. Um, so the first step was infestation, and that's when the ghost comes into the house. So that had been, you know, already happened. The second uh, stage was oppression, where they're starting to get into your head. And the third stage is full-on possession, where they completely take you over. And by his assessment and mine, I was fully into oppression. I was starting to lose time, uh, gaps. Like I could hear him in my head. He was, I could hear his voice. And he was very negative. No matter what I did, uh, he was like taunting me. And, you know, if I was making coffee, he would call me a slob, you know, why don't you clean that pot better? Or It didn't matter what I was doing. He was there in my head. He was and, there accusing um, you. Making accusations. Yeah, he was, yeah, yeah, accusations. And, you know, you deserve this. And, mm. um, but you, and yet you don't think it was a demon. Mean, demonic. Right. It went through the stages um, of demonic activity and is accu accusing you, but you don't feel like it was a demon? You know, I'm so hesitant to call anything a demon because I feel like that's what a lot of the paranormal shows jump to. That's a call. I, yeah, I call think, out. yeah, I think he was just strong enough that he was able to do that. And and ghosts can really strong entities can 
uh, replicate almost the demonic process. Like they can get into people's heads. Like he was, I don't think he was ever capable of fully, fully taking me over. What he was doing was he was wearing me down. He was telling me, this is how the rest of your life's going to be. I'm just going to be with you the entire time. Your psychic medium isn't powerful enough to get rid of me. Look how long it's taken her. She hasn't been able to get rid of me yet. You might as well just kill yourself and be done with it. And those thoughts would go through my head. And and I'd find myself driving, and I'd see a big tree, and I'd almost drift towards it, like almost like it wasn't me. Like These weren't your thoughts. You were having these thoughts. Yeah. You were having these thoughts, but they weren't yours. Yeah. That's what I said. That's their goal. So to harass, to torment, to terrorize, and to also just, just to suggest, you know what, kill yourself. Then it's over. And if a person is doing something like that, eternal damnation. And they achieve the goal. Yeah, these yeah, thoughts, oh, yeah but they have... weren't yours, yes. Yeah. Yeah, and it wasn't me. I'm not that kind of person. And, uh, he was getting into my head, and it was getting worse and worse. It was, um, it was full on oppression. I I would lose time. He was controlling my telephone, uh, my internet connection. Friends would try to call me, and it wouldn't it would ring. Uh, but yet, other you know, the veterinarian could call me, or a telemarketer could call me. But if Michael Cram tried to call me, or I tried to call the psychic medium, or Sandy. Um, the phone, the call wouldn't go through, or if it went through, it was so full of static you couldn't hear. So he was isolating me. He was keeping me away from the people that uh, could help me and trying to just wear me down. And from somebody's perspective uh, that isn't a medium, it's hard to conceptualize what that felt like. It's like, well, you know, he wasn't pinning you to the bed. He wasn't throwing you down a staircase. You know, how do you know it wasn't just your imagination? Um, and it's it, it's hard to explain that. It's like I could all but see him. That's the only thing I couldn't. I couldn't see him. And he was intimidating me, and he was getting to me almost like an abusive lover, mm-hmm. uh, getting into my head and uh, just wouldn't go away, couldn't get away from him. There was no running. You know, it's like, <clears throat> would a would a ghost try to make you think it's a demon, or would a demon try to make you think it's just a ghost? Sometimes both. Um, you know, demons have a tendency. I have come in contact with a couple of demons um, over my paranormal career, and they they will pretend to be something that they're not. Sometimes they'll pretend to be a little girl who's lost and alone, you know, needs help. And um, other times you'll get it trying to show you that it's a demon because it wants to instill fear in you. And, you know, we've had investigations where they've told us it's a demon. And, you know, we've confirmed later that it was not. But, you know, they they they're tricksters they lie you know there's no reason for them to tell us the truth they're not held by any kind of um rules or regulations like we would hope they would be well they are to a point there there are certain rules they have that they can't go over um there are some demons and even satan himself now, there are some demons that are so bad that they will not follow any rules or any laws. You know what I mean? 
they're not allowed to walk the earth right now. They're tied up in chains. I mean, supposedly, according to the Bible, and they're waiting to be left let out later. And any of the other demons that don't want that, then they have to go by some kind of rules. I don't know what those rules are. I'm just saying. I don't know. So, for example, talking about not knowing about rules, I asked you if you think you did something that invited this entity with you. You say you didn't, and I believe you. Is that a rule or not that it has to be invited? Maybe not. Also, and we're getting to that part of this story where you were at the point of possession, where you were blacking out and you couldn't account for the time. And this is right at the point where you have your psychic medium. At that point in the book, we find out that she's also a witch. And they were working on getting rid of this medium, getting rid of this, this entity for you. And typically, we're talking about rules in the story. Demons can't be cast out except through the power of God somehow or the authority of God. The authority is the word, the, the authority is the word that the, the Catholic exorcists use. And yet, this entity was uh, compelled to leave through a ceremony, and one of the things was a Muslim cloth on a black candle. Yeah. So what yeah, are the it rules? Was, um, well, and I don't think that demons have to be cast out by religion or by the authority of God, because um, I work with a shaman now, and he is a Catholic. He is Catholic, um, and he uses God a lot, but he can cast out things like that without instilling the fear of God. Um, and and the the witches, you know, they were Wiccan, uh, third generation Salem witches. So you know, and there was quite a few covens. She actually had several different covens doing rituals for me. Uh, in different areas, so no, but I was nowhere near them when they did the did the banishing ritual. I was home watching the clock. I knew they were going to start it at eleven o'clock. She was waiting for um, a, a special phase of the moon. I think it was uh, waning. I'm not sure. I don't. It's in the book. I don't remember. But um, and they did that ritual and. As it happened, I was sitting there watching the clock thinking, you know, I could still hear him. I could still hear him. I thought, is this going to work? And I like, you got to be positive. You got to don't put that negative energy out there. Brother, I don't know what to say about this. I mean, she said she encountered demons before, but, you know, with this soul collector, no, that cannot be a demon. Um, then this, this, this Catholic guy and then... And you know, everything else, yes, but God, no, no, no. And then she, she talked about the fear of God or whatever. I mean, scriptures are saying, by the name of Jesus Christ, you cast out demons, and this is only working for a true born-again believer. He can do this. And um, if you are dealing with a heavily demonized person that is not a true born-again believer, this person must accept a... The faith first must accept Jesus Christ to be her Lord or his Lord and Savior. It's the only way. 
You can maybe bind demons with a prayer. That's maybe about all these, you know, cleansing rituals and sage and 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 Catholicism and this and that. And um, I mean, these Catholic exorcism. What are they doing? Yeah, they claim to to use the power of God, but often. They they have these long Latin formulas and, and and all this stuff that is going on, and you don't need that. But I I don't know what to say. Uh, for me right now, it, it is weird to hear that this woman is believing in demons, or who knows what what she's understanding when, when about demons. Maybe she's imagining something different, or what a demon is. That's possible. But she is saying like she encountered demons. Then she's talking about all these evil experiences, but comes to the conclusion, no, it cannot be a demon. But at, at the same time, a Catholic guy is, is doing some deliverance, which is not deliverance, using holy water. And then all the other people come in and banishing rituals and whatnot. This is just a mess. I mean, seriously. And I don't know what to say. This is just confusion. This is, there's, I have to say this. No one knows how to deal with demons when it comes to this. And, and, and that's why it's getting worse with this woman, I guess, sooner or later. That's why she's, you know, seeking help and help and here, this medium and this person. And, and, and nothing really changes. Because she never gave her life to Christ. That's the problem. That's the problem. She, this will be an ongoing problem. It will get worse. Or Satan is using her as a tool to, to destroy many. Maybe, you know what? There, there are people that are talking about uh, that, they, that there's under a satanic urge to write certain books. And when they have finished that, then peace for a while came, came upon them. But, you know, there are a lot of people talking about this. They had, oh, I have to write. I must do this, and I must publish this book. That's Satan using you as a puppet to destroy many. It's a sad thing, but I say it again. I don't care. Someone can laugh about what I'm saying, but I know some people will listen to what I'm saying. I know to 100% that this is real. Satan is working for the children of disobedience. That's biblical. And that's what he's doing. And what she also described it, you know, with a with a cell phone or with whatever, with computers and stuff like that. Yeah, that that is happening. I mean, I have a lot of testimonies about that when when Satan, I'm absolutely sure, really wanted to stop me uh, from you know releasing certain videos, especially the ones exposing wickedness. A lot of whacked out stuff happened at my place with my camera, with with a new laptop, and and stuff like that. I, I mean. If if this is happening once or twice, you're saying like, okay, something weird just happened. If you're doing this the entire time for years, and you know that, especially when you talk about certain topics, and it's happening again and again, and weird stuff that no one can explain. He is also called the Prince of the Power of the Air. I would say the Prince of the Power of the Air waves as well. And he's, you know, he's messing with, with technical stuff. That's what he can do. Demons can be very powerful. I know a lot of <laughs> a lot of uh, testimonies about, you know, when, when demons enter the room that out of sudden new light bulbs were 
popping and stuff like that. Like in the movies. And that's what a lot of people are thinking. Oh, that's like in the movies. That cannot be real. Oh, yes, it can be real. It is real. Energy out there. You know, it's going to work. It's going to work. And, um, and then he just disappeared. The sound got fainter and fainter and fainter and disappeared. But what I learned later was when they, after they did the ritual, they blew out the candle. It was, the altar was in one of their basements. And in the book, she said when it disappeared, there was an audible pop. (laughs) So just like that. So I just wanted to say that. Wait a second. Have you ever heard of that before? Like an audible pop? You've been around it. You know, I, I heard a couple of weird noises a couple of times, especially when when it dawned me that it was before, shortly before I became a Christian and Jesus Christ showed up, um, it, it dawned to me that I have certain s- stuff and in, in certain items in my apartment that I should get rid of. And when I, when I did this, I mean, <laughs> there was, I don't care if people believe it or not, but I, the, part of this, there, there was a, a huge poster with kind of occult symbols on that. And, uh, I mean, I'm talking about a massive thing that was almost the entire wall, like a huge poster. And um, I was ripping this thing off from the wall, and I was crunching it and putting it on, on, onto the ground, and I wanted the next day, I wanted to, to put it in a trash can. But this thing like kind kind of unfolded itself a little bit, and it sounded seriously. I never heard something like that before. And afterwards, it sounded really like a, a bunch of snakes hissing at me very loud. And I was like, "What is this?" And I, there was a witness here seeing this. We were both in shock. And and like I said, I have seen other stuff. I have with witness uh, with witnesses like. Heavy stuff made out of metal moved by itself. Another weird stuff happened here in this apartment, happened in another apartment, and uh, yeah, tough times. Uh, but especially when I wanted to get rid of these items. And like I said, like it's clear in the, in the Bible that don't bring an abomination into your house. And if you have occult books or symbols, idols, and all of this, that is always causing trouble. But I never heard a, a, a popping sound, no. A popping when the spirit left, okay. No, I mean, um, what I really believe is, like, the spirit never left. That's what they are doing often. They, they, they play dead, and these people, they think, oh, now I got the solution. And someone else is then having maybe the same problem. Oh, yeah, go to medium X, Y, Z, whatever, like this person. He or her will help you. They will do a special banishing ritual and then it just makes pop and yeah and nothing happens and that's the thing is you know they are very crafty they are highly intelligent and as it doesn't matter as long as you're not a born again believer you will not enter the kingdom of god you will not have eternal life you will enter into eternal damnation a lot of people don't like that but that's the truth, and God showed me that this is the truth. That made me a Christian. Two experiences. As long as you can, Satan can fool you with his demons with a lot of nonsense to waste your time, and there's a car crash is happening, or you got a kind of a sickness or whatever, and you die, 
go and achieved. And when they when they have to play that for a while, then they play that for a while. But it doesn't mean that they completely stop the activity. They just fooled you. They blew out the candle, and they walked upstairs and you know just had a relaxing rest of their evening. And the fire, the smoke detector started going off, and so they went down there, and the altar cloth had burnt up, and the ashes fell in a pattern that. We're spelling out L-E-L-E-O or, well, we think he was trying to spell legion, like I am legion, I'm I'm one of many. So that's where people have speculated that perhaps it was demonic. And I don't know for sure. Um, I don't think it was, but um, I don't think anybody would really know. Um, But what I didn't know at the time was their banishing ritual stripped him of his collection of souls, but it sent him back to where they found him, to where he started. So he went right back out to the Rutland prison camps. And a year later, this is not in Soul Collector, Ghost Magnet, a year later, I went out there to face my fears because I had really gotten to the point where I was terrified of even thinking about going out there. And I thought, I can't give this that power. It's just a piece of land. There's nothing bad there. And I went back out there with a the group. And the psychic medium was supposed to go with me to keep me protected, but she backed out at the last minute. And um, I picked him up again. Wow. I can't believe you did that, Joni. If you're in this book, you know, you're nervous to even write this book, but there's something in you, you being you, you decided to write it and let everybody know about the soul collector and the people in the book, Michael and your psychic medium told you not even to think about it, not even to talk about it or would draw it to you. You write the book and then you go out there again. I can't believe it. Yeah, I know. I, I, I've done some foolish things in my life, uh, but I felt like I was doing the right thing at the time. I thought I was giving too much power over a piece of land. And what point. I was told was that he was completely gone. He was gone. He was banished. I, we would never see him on this plane of existence again. Mm-hmm. And uh, the second time I picked him up, I didn't know it was him because he didn't have the same power. Um he was he was not as strong, but he was with me for a longer period of time the second time. Um, and I was going to ask you about took that. Took a different psychic medium. I was going to yeah. ask you if you've ever came in contact with him again. How, what makes you, so? Is a psychic medium that lets you know that it was him again? Um. Well. I had parted ways with that psychic medium during some point in that uh, period of time. And I had met someone else that was even better. Her name is Barbara Williams. Uh, she's still still my mentor. I talk to her on occasion. And she oversees a piece of property up in Maine Parsonsfield Seminary. And it's a haunted location, and she oversees investigations there. But she also does readings for people, and she teaches classes. And she had invited us up 
we had told her um, that I had something attached to me that I needed help with. And she said, okay, well, we're having an investigation this Saturday. Why don't you come up? I've got some of my students here. And so Sandy and I went up. And uh, Sandy, you know, this thing had been jumping back and forth between me and Sandy, uh, which was fascinating because we were able to document it. I would feel it go away, and she would feel it come in as soon as it went away from me. And so we documented this for a few months. And finally I just said, you know, Barbara, can you get rid of this for me? And um, so we went up and did an investigation. Well, before the investigation, she brought Sandy and I in and uh, set us in chairs back-to-back and surrounded us with all of her students. And they held hands and started working and doing energy work and chanting, and um, it went away. They got it. They banished it. And this time Barbara made sure it went somewhere where it could not come back. And that's when she told me. She waited until it was gone, which is the right thing to do. And she told me, she said, I don't know if you realize this, but that was the soul collector. You, you picked him up again. So um, <laughs> he's gone now, though. But I will tell you, I will never set foot on that property again. I was about to ask. So I learned my lesson. But he didn't have as much power as he did the second time. He didn't have as much power the second time no. as he did the first. No, he and was you- not as bad the second time, but he was still there. You know, he was still... Uh, someone following you. And I guess, you know, going back to your question, why would I do something so foolish? Um, I'm a writer and I'm a documenter. And sometimes I put myself in precarious positions so that I can have an experience that I can write about to share with people, um, you know, in the hopes of helping other people or in the hopes of learning more information. So, I'm not so much that way now. Um, I used to be so brave. I'd be the first one in the dark tunnel or, you know, the first one to go in the room that everybody was afraid of. And I hang back now. I'm much more cautious. And there's times when I have been invited to amazing investigations, but I wasn't in the right mindset for it. I've turned it down. So I'm cautious now. Um, I learned, I learned a lot through that experience and it left me with the PTSD. Um, you know, I'm still apprehensive when something dark comes in. Um, something before I forget is, um, she was talking about, uh, these experiences with, you know, the demon leaving her and going to this other person and they don't prevent this and stuff like that. <clears throat> That's why there's something what we call a soul tie there, and you can you can find this also in the Bible. There are some people that say like, oh no, a soul tie, that's that's not biblical. Yes, it is in the Bible. Um, a soul tie is like, um, you know, if, if you take drugs with someone or you are, you are into... Or sex, ritual. right? Sorry? Even sex? Yes, okay. of course. That's okay, same a very, thing. very good point here. That's what the next one I wanted to talk about. Like it says in Genesis, they will become one flesh. Okay. And Adam and Eve were not like um, mutating in one body into one body with two heads on it. It's of course it's spiritual. It's a spirit, spiritual meaning. And uh, there's a verse that is talking about, uh, for example, a strong friendship. Jonathan and David, their souls knit together, and you know, what Satan is using against a lot of people and they don't realize it is, for example, when there's a, 
unholy relationship, you know, sex outside of marriage, and uh, they are, you know, having their boyfriend or girlfriend, and they separate. And someone is, uh, you know, ha getting heavy depression and whatnot, and then they they are getting thoughts about this person, you know, the, the ex-boyfriend or ex-girlfriend, and um, they don't want to think about this person. I mean, a lot of people are talking about this. They don't want to think about this person, but it's controlling them. Their mind is consumed with this and constantly remembered of this. That's why, you know, it is because there's a soul tie there. That is the consequence. And Satan is using them against, using the situation against them. Um, you could maybe imagine this in a way like, you know, there are two heads connected with, with, a, with a sewer pipe and someone is draining some garbage down, you know, <laughs> you get it. And it's like how demons have the legal right to influence people. And what she described is something like a soul tie. It's the same exact thing if you go to a medium or back then in the description, you know, in the, in the Old Testament, a sorcerer, a witch, whatever. Doesn't matter. Someone is, is doing necromancy, is, is into the occult. So there's a legal right for demons to influence these people. And yes, they're, they're using these soul ties to influence and to, you know, and um, when these demo, demons are thinking like about how to fool people, oh yeah, these, these two women, they were thinking like they're so smart maybe and they document something like, oh no, oh, yeah, now he's leaving me, but he's appearing at the other side and what blah 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 at the end there's a soul tie and soul ties can be formed through sex drugs through occult rituals through everything unholy there can also be good soul ties like described in the bible a good friendship a godly friendship that is a soul tie there's something happening in the spiritual realm and um, yeah, that's that's what I wanted to point out. That what she was describing is soul tie, and that happened because she opened herself up to mediums. And yeah, that's what it is. Did you have any way to know until she told you that she thinks it was a soul collector again? That it might have been him again? Did he give you the same dark feelings? Was he still sitting over you? Did you did you hear him in your head that second time? No, the second time it was not nearly as bad. He was um, he was there and he was following me and he was in my house and giving me bad vibes, but I didn't know it was him. I had had several other attachments during that period of time, so it was like constant with me. Um, it wasn't like the soul collector went away and a year later I got another ghost. I The soul collector went away and... I had another ghost in, you know, within a month or a week. Or I don't, I don't even remember. But um, you know, it's just constant for me. I always have something with me. They're pulled in, it's like a moth to the candle. Um, they just follow me. So he felt worse than what I normally got, and it was concerning um, because there was something else there. But it wasn't as terrifying as it was the first time because he didn't have the power to get in my head like he did the first time. All right, let's see if there's anything I love. Do you hear something in your ear right now as we're talking? I do. I do. Yep, there's um, somebody standing to my left, and uh, it's a female. And uh, I don't get much information when they're in my house. For some reason, I think it's probably some kind of 
self-preservation. Like I don't tune in and get a lot of information. Um, but if I'm in another, if I'm outside of my house, I can pull in information. But I, she's not bad. She's just here. Okay. I don't know. She doesn't really want anything. She's just here. I was wondering if she's new or she just came up while we were talking. No, she's been here for a couple of days. Have you had to... Actually, before I say that, I was wondering if you've had to had any more negative entities other than the soul collector. There is one, I think you wrote that in the end of the soul collector, there was one that was negative. Yes, I've had multiple ones um, since the soul collector. I mean, I think he stands as probably one of the worst, uh, maybe the worst, but I've had quite a few bad experiences since then. And, I was terrified because I really didn't have a lot of help. Um, Barbara Williams was helping me as much as she could, but um, it wasn't until I ran into Shaman Michael Robichaud, which I write about his his abilities and his story in a book. I wrote about him, um, uh, Ruin of Souls. But um, Michael and I met at an investigation. He was from Richmond, Virginia, I'm sorry, he was from Alexandria, Virginia, and we just happened to be at an investigation in Massachusetts together. And after that investigation, I went home and there was something with me, and it was in my room. And I posted a picture on Facebook of my room, and I'm like, you know, just grasping at straws. Is there anybody who reads energy and pictures can help me with this? I've got something here. And he messaged me, and he said, take your picture down off of Facebook. I'll help you. I'll send my spirit guides and my angels. And um, he said they'll be coming in at 11 o'clock. And at 11 o'clock, it was like laser lights, but I couldn't see the lights. It was zipping around the room, chasing the sound of the ghost. And that went on for about an hour, and then it got quiet, like quiet, quiet, like no ear ringing at all. There was no ghost. And I was flabbergasted um, that somebody was capable of that amount of power um, over anything, really. So, I mean, he's helped me out a lot over the years. I mean, he literally just pulled one out of my house three days ago. He he works remotely. He doesn't have to be here. Um, and it's hard to conceptualize for a lot of people. Ruin of Souls never did well because the stories were terrifying and the people were um, normal people. They weren't like, you know, um, crazy people or something. I don't know, people involved in the paranormal. There were lawyers and doctors and uh, mechanics and, you know, just every walk of life that told these horrific haunting stories that could be a movie on their own. And he sent his guides and it was done and over with, like in a day after some of these people went through the haunting for years. And, um, I've heard about he I've heard about it. shamans shamans doing that before. The first time I heard about it was the infield poltergeist. Have you heard about that in England? Yeah, yeah, I have. At the end of the day, it was yeah. a shaman that got rid of it. Went in there, was there for about fifteen minutes, walked out, and he says, "Your problem's gone," and it was. It was yeah, and that's exactly what Michael does. He's he. There's something special about him. I call him a modern day superhero. People don't understand what he does, and 
there's a lot of evil in the world, and sometimes I think the evil is caused by dark spirits getting to people, getting into their heads, making them do things, and influencing them. And I know firsthand from Soul Collector that they can definitely motivate you and influence you to think things that you wouldn't think. Um, and I've just had so many cases, personal cases, of friends that I know people that have contacted me with horrific hauntings and after he's done his thing, they're gone. So he's amazing at what he does. And, and I'm thankful. I'm blessed to have him in my life because otherwise I would probably be sitting in a rubber room, you know, talking to the corner at this point because, you know, I, how many ghosts he's removed from me, I can't even remember how many. It's been, you know, probably over 100 I'm glad you have a stronger support system now. That's one thing you said in the end of your book. How um, think about this. This is going on for a very long time, and people remove ghosts. She's talking about ghosts or sometimes evil spirits. Then she's all also saying, like, yeah, she believes in demons, but then next moment, no, not really. Uh, this was not a demon. This was a human being, blah, blah, blah. Um, I'm just asking you, I mean, how come that I don't have to deal with this stuff for years anymore since Christ showed up? I don't have these problems. She is entangled into the occult and she's, you know, that's the sad thing. I mean, someone is doing something, as, you know, a shaman is doing a ritual, whatever, and all of these people are fooled. Uh, so you you encounter this demonic laser show, whatever, and then demons play dead afterwards, and you think, like, that's it. But still she's saying, like, this is an ongoing thing. I mean, I would be interested if she's still saying this, like, oh, yeah, this guy is still removing demons from my house. I mean, where does it stop? Where is the, the peace? Where is the, the solution for all of this? I don't have demons anymore in my room manifesting like it happened before I became a Christian. Why? I mean, I don't have to, to do all of this weird, whack-out stuff. I have to say this. This woman is unfortunately deceived. And so are the other people that are doing these, these things because demonic spirits are, are messing with them. That's what it is. Oh, you, you're, you don't do the investigations like you used to anymore. I mean, you're still involved in a form of helping people. Is that still the case? Uh, yes and no. I've been getting braver over the years. Um, knowing I have Michael watching my back gives me a sense that sometimes I feel like this is my calling and this is what I do. Um, I write about this stuff and I give people information. You know, some of my books talk about how to, you know, interpret what you're feeling or what to, how to know if a loved one's coming back or if it's a loved one or a ghost and talking about how to protect yourself because, you know, God knows I've researched that um, fully. But um, I do, I, I'm apprehensive. I'm still, I'm not the bravest person in the room, but uh, I still am putting, starting to put myself in those situations again for the experience and uh, to be able to share the experience. So basically, it's a paranormal gonzo journalism type thing you're doing. Pretty much, yeah. 
pretty much. Um, but, you know, that's kind of, I have a few friends that do the same thing, and uh, people are always asking us, why do you put yourself in these situations? It's like, well, I don't know. It's just what I do, and um, somebody's got to do it. There's something fascinating. It might as well be me. There's something fascinating at the idea of there's a lot of evil that goes on, goes on. I mean, just there was a shooting the 4th of July. You heard about that? I did. I did. So that was the last one I heard. I mean, every day there's something evil and to think that these paranormal entities, be they spirits or demons, have something to do with it, you know, are able to. I've wondered that too. Yeah, I think it's possible. I think it's highly probable. Um, I think about, you know, looking back through history, um, you know, people that started off one way and ended up being mass murderers, you know, with somebody whispering in their ear, you know, how did they become that person? And some of it's just, you know, who they are, but, you know, they they negative energy draws negative energy. So, they could definitely have been influenced. Some of these stories that I've researched, the Amityville horror being one, and then Taylor should business being another. These are the most recent, I think. Well, except for the one I've been working on for a long time. You do, you, you don't see it directly. Like in this case, there was a soul collector, but you do see like patterns, you know, demonic patterns. I mean, whether it be a demon or evil spirits or, but you do see that demonic pattern. I don't know. If you look into the Amityville horror, which the true story is more terrifying than the lie that was made up about it. It, 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 there's a part of it I had to leave out. I'll tell you now. Um, because it just got too dark. You know, when you start talking about possession, you know, you know, the story goes that Ron DeFeo was possessed, so he killed his family, which wasn't the case. But when you're looking at that, that the real story, the uh, sister, the sister had some, she really had something going on that time. And uh, from the accounts I got from people that were there, it is terrifying. I'm not saying she was possessed or not, but I don't know. But the story of what she was going through just was too dark to put in the documentary. Wow. Yeah. Anyway. And then, uh, yeah, just people do evil things too. So it's, it's hard, but to think of. And a lot of it. It's hard to pinpoint. Yeah, it's hard to pinpoint what caused that to happen. I tell you what, maybe, maybe you've noticed this too, or maybe you will in the future. Now that I bring it up to you, when I was talking about patterns, I'm serious. There's in the same patterns every time, but for some reason it always starts with the parents. It starts with the parents, whether, whether the father left and it was a mother alone, or it's usually an evil father, you know, and it, it just goes from there. So. Thank you very much for calling me. I appreciate this, and um, I'll let you know when it's done. Awesome. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Bye.
Whether you fall into the beliefs of Joni Mayhem with the New Age movement, or whether you believe what Brother Yohin believes in the irrerrancy of the Bible, I'm going to tell you right now, this shit is real. When I was interviewing Brother Yohim, I had to take a break. I had to go to the bathroom really bad. I go in there, I sit on the toilet, and I get attacked by a demon. I know what you're thinking. I'm crazy. I'm making this up. It's completely true. I got attacked on the toilet. I felt like a, a presence that hated me. And then all of a sudden, I felt really nauseous, like I was going to vomit and pass out, like I couldn't go on anymore. I'm, I call out to Jesus to make it go away. Boom, it went away. Then I was normal. Like, okay. I come in here and I finish the interview. And you'll notice my hat that I'm wearing. I don't wear the alien hat anymore. Because after the interview is over, I go into the next room. I take my hat off and I have a big red indentation on my head in the shape of an alien head that was on my hat I used to wear. I'm not joking about this. Somebody doesn't want the information in this documentary getting out. But fortunately for all of us, it really pisses me off when somebody tries to tell me what to do. Until next time, God bless.